Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. The day has arrived that restaurants, bars, gyms, health clubs, and casinos have been waiting for. The province of Ontario has announced an end to indoor capacity limits as long as you can prove you've been vaccinated. It's yet another indication that life may be getting back to whatever normal was before COVID-19 hit back in March of 2020. That plus the progressive conservative government loses another MPP. Lots to get you caught up on on this Tuesday, October 26th, 2021. So let's get to it. JMM, yesterday, well, it was a very big day for Ontario. Tell us why. On Monday morning, the provincial government lifted capacity limits in places like bars, restaurants and gyms uh, that have been required to check people's vaccination status for about a month now. Uh, bars and restaurants, they weren't formally limited to a number like 50% capacity. Uh, instead, public health rules required them to keep tables at least two meters apart. Uh, the problem is that bar and restaurant owners said that that rule amounted to about 50% capacity in just another name. Uh, it also uh, didn't help that the government had allowed major sports venues to go to full capacity several weeks ago now. Uh, So now those smaller businesses will be allowed to go to full capacity, too. Right. But let's remember, people must show proof that they've been vaccinated before entering these establishments, right? That's right. This is all conditional on these businesses checking that vaccination status. Uh, Apparently, people are uh, signing up to get those QR codes that uh, the government announced two weeks ago. Uh, 4.8 million people have downloaded the QR code that we talked about in uh, last week's episode. Almost 1 million people are using the Verify Ontario app. Uh, You don't have to, but, you know, I did it and, you know, it's kind of fun. And uh, the QR code is is a very simple way of showing your vaccine status. Let's put on the record here that John Michael McGrath's definition of what is fun may not necessarily be the same (laughs) as those listening to this, but be that as it may, one of the reasons the government felt it could take this step is that the numbers are heading in the right direction. For example, JMM. Uh, So the vaccination rates uh, right now in Ontario are very encouraging. Uh, 87.9% of Ontarians have had their first dose. 83.8% have had two doses. Uh, The weekly case rates are decreasing. We are uh, substantially below the national average right now. Eight of the 12 other provinces or territories in Canada actually has a higher rate of new cases every week than Ontario does right now. Um, And the COVID-19 ICU admissions rate is... uh, pretty stable right now, around 150 people, give or take, on the day. Uh, It's about half of what we have been told is the threshold for uh, reduced services in hospitals. Now, what's the situation for healthcare facilities, medical supplies, grocery stores, that kind of thing? Any requirement to be vaccinated before people enter those kinds of establishments? No, the health minister has said, uh, this is Christine Elliott, health minister and deputy premier, uh, she has said uh, that people are going to continue to have full access to these kinds of establishments regardless of their vaccination status. They just don't want to put a barrier between people and really essential services like pharmacies and grocery stores. Good to get clarification on that. Let me ask about another kind of establishment. Barbershops, um, indoor activities at amusement parks, uh, museums, art galleries and so on. What are the rules going to be for them? 
as long as these establishments opt into checking people's vaccination proof, uh, they can start lifting capacity limits too. And I think this is an interesting point that uh, people either missed or they didn't give it the weight I think it deserves. You know, the government uh, gave people a bunch of notice, and we're going to talk about that in a bit, about when public health measures are going to start lifting in Ontario. Uh, But the really most immediate change, and I think the most substantial one, is that a lot of new places are actually going to be checking vaccine status uh, that weren't before yesterday or before Friday. Interesting. Now, while we're on this, there was quite a development in the city of Hamilton last week. Hamilton Health Sciences, which is essentially the corporation that runs all the hospitals in the city of Hamilton, and it is, incidentally, the biggest employer in the city. It's not steel anymore. It's healthcare. They have said that every employee needs to be vaccinated or get fired. The deadline is November 30th. The hospital CEO says, quote, as healthcare workers, we have a collective duty to reduce the risk to our patients and other healthcare workers from the foreseeable harm of infection, particularly when the tools to do so are readily available. That's Rob McIsaac, the CEO of the hospital. And JMM, the hospital is getting some backing from the federal government on this too, right? This was interesting. Uh, Last week, Federal Employment Minister Carla Qualtrough said if people lose their jobs because they refuse to comply with an employer's COVID-19 vaccination policy, they likely won't be eligible for EI. Um, I suspect this will end up being challenged in court, but it's not a huge change in policy or anything. You know, EI eligibility is always based on workers being unemployed through no fault of their own. And what Qualtrough is effectively saying here is that refusing vaccination mandate doesn't qualify as through no fault of your own. Uh, you know, getting back to Hamilton, there are more than 13,000 employees who work in hospitals there. 10% or so are still not vaccinated. So with a November 30th deadline here, this issue is obviously going to come to a head and they are now potentially looking at being both out of a job and ineligible for EI. Fascinating. Now, it's a bit tricky making promises during a pandemic that are meant to kick in five months down the road. But the government is doing that as it relates to mask wearing. What's the story there? Uh, They have set March 28th, 2022 as the date when, if all goes according to plan uh, and the numbers don't spike up again, uh, we can stop wearing masks in indoor public places. Uh, They plan to start reviewing the data in January, uh, January 17th, 2022, actually, after the holidays have passed. And, you know, if we haven't seen a big holiday surge in cases and hospitalizations, uh, they will then uh, determine whether it's, uh, you know, safe to start relaxing these public health measures. Fingers crossed. What do you think, I'm going to ask you this directly, what do you think is the overarching scientific philosophy underpinning the province's decisions these days? You know, the the operative word here is caution. Uh, The the premier and health minister and the chief medical officer of health uh, have all used this word repeatedly. Uh, When people in politics use the same word over and over again, they kind of want you to hear it. (laughs) Um, You know, they've seen other jurisdictions where they have reopened too quickly, especially places that have abandoned indoor mask rules uh, too early. And then they had to shut them back down again. Alberta is one example. Ontario has started taking in ICU patients from Saskatchewan, another example. Uh, So the Ontario government, uh, based on advice from the science table and the medical officer of health, is proceeding uh, very slowly. And they are giving lots of warning, lots of explicit warnings that, you know, all of this depends on most especially keeping the hospital capacity stable. Well, uh, okay, caution is the word of the day, but apparently not cautious enough for some people, what did the Green Party leader Mike Schreiner have to say about all this? 
he had a quote on Friday. He said, Doug Ford is putting the cart before the horse with today's announcement. Ford's plan to lift public health restrictions when vaccine certificates have only just begun and millions of kids remain ineligible for vaccines is worrisome, especially as we head into winter months. Okay, let's pivot here and talk budgets, because we also learned last week that the province intends to bring forward an economic statement, or I guess what you'd call a mini budget, on Thursday, November the 4th. And I suspect we have a few hints about what might be in it. Care to share, JMM? Well, we've already seen that the uh, nightmarish deficit figures that we got early uh, in the pandemic uh, have not materialized. The government uh, has not spent as much as they feared, and they've had a lot more income uh, that they uh, than they expected. So uh, we're going to get an update on the deficit figure, and it will be not as bad as uh, we previously thought it would be. Uh, it may also be one of the last really big pieces of legislation that the government passes before absolutely everything becomes about re-election in the spring. So, uh, you know, I don't know about you or everybody else listening to this podcast, but I will be uh, diving into the details of that plan and, and the legislation that comes with it to see all the little wonkish bits that the government wants to tackle before the election consumes everything. <laughs> I know you will. And I'm going by memory here, so you're going to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the deficit last year uh, was projected to be $38.5 billion, something in that order. That sounds about right. Yeah. So uh, I, I think we can make a pretty safe assumption that the deficit that they will project going forward is going to be significantly less than that. Otherwise, they wouldn't be having a mini budget, I'm guessing. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, remember that old Queen tune? This may be before your time, John Michael, but there was a, there was a tune by Freddie Mercury and Queen called Another One Bites the Dust with a great bass line in it, one of the best bass lines ever. It applies that song to the PC caucus because yet another MPP has bit the dust or left the caucus. Let's put it that way. This time it's Lindsay Park. She's the MPP for Durham and it's vaccine politics that's at play again. What's the story here? Uh, there is, uh, let's call it a disagreement uh, between uh, now independent MPP Park and the government house leader's office over uh, whether she lied or not in revealing why she had not been vaccinated. She says she informed the premier's office about her uh, uh, medical exemption to get a vaccine. Uh, she uh, handed a letter in. Uh, the government the house leader's office says that she submitted a, a letter to a desk that was not manned by any staff, and they did not find the letter for more than a month. Uh, so uh, effectively an accusation of, of uh, misleading the, the caucus. Hmm. You know, there, there are two members of the PC caucus that have medical exemptions from getting the jab. And normally, I think, in the population of Ontario, the number of people who've got medical exemptions is sort of one out of every half a million. And yet here we've got one out of 70 plus. Do we have any idea what's going on here? <laughs> well... Lindsay Park says that she had a very severe reaction to a previous uh, vaccination uh, years ago. That is the kind of thing that is... Uh supposed to be uh, eligible for uh, getting a medical exemption. Um, I think there's some fair question about whether uh, people are, are truly getting exemptions that uh, they are entitled to, or maybe people are um, uh, fudging things a little. <laughs> and to confirm, she's not running again anyway, right? Uh, correct. She has said that she will not run again. So, uh, you know, this is another open GTA seat in the next election. Right. All right. Something odd happened on one of our episodes of The Agenda this past week, and I wanted to bring it to people's attention. Ginny Roth, who's a conservative advisor, she's a, a consultant with Crestview Strategy. She was talking about the next election on the program, and she said something like, 
when it happens on June 2nd, or maybe earlier. And some of us wondered, what? what? What did she just say? What is that? Earlier? Is there a possibility Premier Doug Ford might call an early election? I mean, we do have a fixed election date law that puts the timing of the next election four years to the week of the previous election. So we have known for a long time that June 2nd, 2022, is when the next election is scheduled to happen. Well, TVO's Harrison Lohman wondered about this, too. And so we have invited him to grab a microphone and pick up the story. Harrison, how you doing? I'm pretty good, Steve. Thanks. I'm just nursing a rugby injury. But other than that, I am I'm bright eyed and bushy tailed and ready to answer you guys. I'm glad to hear that. Now, you went to the premier's press conference on Friday and you put this issue of election timing directly to him. How come? Well, like you said, we had uh, Ginny Roth on the agenda making that comment, and I thought it was sort of a wild thing to say, so I went to talk to our higher-ups, and, you know, that tiny rumor mill started spinning and churning. Uh, I heard from someone who said he heard from someone who was within the premier's office. Uh, that person insisted that the, the premier was pretty set on calling an early election sometime next uh, March or April. Uh, and then I spoke to you guys, and then I was hemming and hawing, and I was like, what is happening here? And I thought, I should just get on my rain jacket and just go to Queen's Park and ask the, the man himself. Which you did. And let's hear how that exchange went. Let's roll it, please, Matthew. Mr. Premier, the next election is scheduled for June 2nd, 2022. Yes. Uh, you've denied claims in the past that you'd call an early election before that date. And I'm wondering today if you will commit that the next Ontario election will in fact take place on June 2nd, 2022. I will commit the next election is June uh, 2nd. Okay, Harrison, what did you think of that answer? Yeah, it was pretty categorical, I would say. Like, he, he's boxing himself in should he call an early election um, after this, right? I, it's sort of a, a Halloween-timed clip that could come back to haunt him um, if he ends up taking uh, that decision. Um, you know, this would be similar to what Trudeau did a few months ago, uh, reading the polls, saying, you know what, it's better if I call this thing early. Um, and I was trying to get a read on his staff after I asked that question as to, I don't know, were they actually thinking about this sort of thing? But when they're wearing masks, it, you know, that's kind of hard to do. <laughs> All right. So um, let's see. John Michael, I think you were hearing rumors of an early call as well, weren't you? Did you look into that? Well, I actually wasn't at first. Um, and then I, I started getting these messages from Harrison. And so I was... I started making some phone calls and, you know, um, I, I think I could say reasonably confidently that it's, it's certainly an idea that some Tories are kicking around, notwithstanding the Premier's uh, pretty unequivocal answer there. Uh, but when Harrison and I were talking about this, I think we were both a bit confused because it doesn't feel to me like something that would be worth the trouble. You know, you move the election up a little bit, but it doesn't really change things that much and it, and it still has the potential to cause a lot of, of blowback. So uh, if I could, I, I'd like to lay out the argument that was given to me by one uh, conservative for, for why it would be worth doing. Uh, Basically, he said that, you know, the government brought in this law that requires them to bring in a budget by March 31st and no later than March 31st. The budget is going to be this really heavily campaign themed document. They are going to have lots of goodies that they want to announce in it. And then they have to wait <laughs> until the election starts. And why give up all of the good energy that comes from a budget only to wait several weeks before you actually uh, enter the writ period. So better in this line of thinking to announce the budget, give the big budget speech, not even really bother passing it, just go straight to an election and 
then, you know, let the chips fall where they may. As I say, uh, you know, that was the argument for uh, going early. It would still be a spring election. The, the, gamble would be that you're only moving the election up one or two months, so it wouldn't risk the kind of blowback that, as Harrison mentioned, that Justin Trudeau saw uh, earlier this year. Well, that's an open question, I'd say, because Justin Trudeau famously said, I wouldn't call an election in the middle of a pandemic, and then did, (laughs) which the public interpreted as being self-serving as opposed to serving to the public. And as a result, he came back with practically the same number of seats and didn't get his majority. Uh, Harrison, I guess I'd, I'd say to you, congratulations. You've done a good service for Ontarians asking that question and getting a very clear answer. Thanks, Steve. And I, I just want to remind you guys, don't if it does take place in June, do not think it's a coincidence that two months before that time, the government has said that we all three of us will not be wearing masks indoors. Not a coincidence. Not a coincidence. No, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be a lot of good news that'll be building up in you know early 2022 if the government gets its way. Right on. That's Harrison Lohman. Thanks. Oh, you know what? Let me ask you one last thing. You actually, you know, for the last year and a half, almost all of the press conferences with government ministers or the premier have been, of course, on um, speakerphone. You were actually down there. They're allowing people, they're allowing reporters to go to press conferences now and be in the room and ask questions. How is that? It's interesting. You're kind of ushered into a, a tiny little line and there's a, a microphone and p- it's kind of awkward because I don't think people are used to being around one another. And the small talk is even weirder than it was before. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's extremely refreshing to be down there and actually see people and things that you can touch with your hands. And <laughs> it's, it's good to be back. Keep your hands to yourself, Harrison. Yeah, that's <laughs> Good job. Okay, that's Harrison Lohman. Thanks for joining us today, Harrison. Thanks, guys. We always conclude this podcast with our favorite quotes of the week, and we'll have those for you immediately after we ask you to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can let us know what you liked, what you didn't. You can tell us how much you thought Harrison was the next coming of Walter Cronkite, if you want. That's a very old reference for both of you guys. I may have to explain who Walter Cronkite is after we get finished this. But anyway, I think the older listeners know who I'm talking about. Help make our podcast just a little bit better. You can also shoot us an email at onpolitics at tvo.org. And if you're my age, you can tell Steve that we studied Walter Cronkite in school. I am thrilled to hear that because he deserves to be remembered long after he retired as the chief anchor of CBS Evening News. There you go. Here now is my quote of the week. We know that Premier Ford and former Tory, now independent MPP Randy Hillier, have been at loggerheads for quite some time. Well, Hillier appears to have falsely linked some people's deaths to the COVID-19 vaccine, and he put it up on his website. And the surviving family members are quite outraged about it, and Premier Ford addressed this at his Friday news conference. I think, I think it's appalling an elected official would, would, would do that, put someone who's passed away for another reason and post it and say it's because they had vaccinations. It's disgusting, in my opinion. That's the reason Randy Hillier is not part of our party. That's the reason Randy Hillier will not win the next election if he decides to run. And ironically, Randy Hillier's riding is the highest vaccinated uh, riding anywhere in Ontario. So they don't believe in him either. I think this guy, I always said before, the chief slipped off the cracker with this guy. He's, he's gone rogue. The guy's lost his mind, in my opinion. And uh, I, I just, I ignore him. Doug Ford employing one of his favorite sayings, which will no doubt please the dairy industry. 
My quote of the week comes from former Environmental Commissioner Diane Sachs, who is one of two former legislative officers running for a elected office in the coming provincial election. She and Erwin Elman uh, will both be running, though for different parties. And I actually asked her this week whether she thinks that uh, former nonpartisan officials uh, for the legislature have any kind of obligation to stay out of partisan politics after uh, their tenure has ended. Uh, And here's part of what she told me this week. Having had the opportunity to provide oversight to 17 critical government ministries between them spending many billions of dollars a year and a really close-up look at how they make those decisions and why we keep making such bad decisions equips us for public service. Uh, Erwin and I serve the public to the best of our ability as legislative officers, and now we're offering to serve the public again using what we've learned because we care so much about the public good. That is former Environmental Commissioner and now Green Party Deputy Leader Diane Sachs uh, speaking on Monday. Well, if she wins the seat that she is seeking, she will not be the first in her family to be a member of the legislature. Her father, the famous coroner Morton Shulman, was an NDP MPP in the 1960s. He used to give the John Robarts government of the day considerable grief over numerous things. So if she does get elected, she'll come by it honestly because her dad was an MPP as well. This week's episode was produced by Katie O'Connor, edited by Matthew O'Mara, production support from Jonathan Hallowell, and this week, Carla Lucetta. Nikki Ashworth, you get well soon, kiddo. JMM, as my dad likes to say, stay positive, test negative. Stay safe, Steve. <laughs>